Well, again, good morning to you. Um, we have a new podium here for us to look at today. We'll get to that in just a moment. Um, this is called Saving Money. Um, I went to the backyard of Jeff Brigette's house and I said, I need some stumps. And this is what I got. Um, I tell you what, I love the message that Peter has in his word in terms of 2 Peter chapter 1. I want to go ahead and invite you to turn there with me right now, 2 Peter chapter 1. Uh, and I need to give you a little bit of a preface, a little bit of an understanding of what's been taking place as we jump into Scripture this morning. Because this is being written when Peter is there and he is in Rome and he knew that he was going to be executed soon. He knew that that was going to be taking place. I mean, it was the, the writing was on the wall. So here's someone who knows that he's about to be executed, and so he's sharing these words with people to make sure that it goes deep within who they are. And he is. I mean, it wasn't long later that he was executed by the Emperor Nero uh, there in Rome, and he is taking this opportunity to communicate the very best that he can. And it's a fantastic message fantastic message for us to grow from and to learn from and it's in a, in a in a way it's i think it's a farewell speech of sorts because he knows he's about to die and so here's this fair, farewell speech of letting everyone know hey listen above all else make sure that you never stop growing Never stop growing. Isn't that interesting? This is his farewell speech. And yet in the midst of this farewell speech, he's communicating to everyone, never stop growing. Never stop growing. Never stop being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Romans chapter 12. Just keep going, and I can't help but think, is that the message that we communicate to other people? After we spend a week with some friends or some family, and, and we're departing one another, and we, are, are we communicating, hey, make sure you never stop growing in the Lord Jesus Christ? Or are we communicating sometimes the opposite of, hey, make sure um, you keep doing what you're doing, but don't change, don't change anything. Don't change anything, don't do it. Because here's a message from Peter saying, never stop growing. And so he's got this amazing word for us to be able to look at today. And he's doing all types of things um, in this letter. He's reminding them and also warning them of the false teachers that are around, people who aren't communicating the truth about who Jesus Christ is. And so he's warning them of the false teachers. And he's reminding the church that through Jesus Christ, they've been invited the, to, they've been invited to be a part of his divine nature. So let, let's do this. Let's jump back. I started reading earlier with verse 5. I want to read verse 3 and 4 because in order for you to really get verses 5 and following, you need to know verse 3 and 4. So 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, he says, His divine power, his divine power, Power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All right, so here's a reminder for you. Farewell speech. Peter, he knows he's about to be executed. He's about to die. And so he comes, up, he, he comes out and he has these words, these, uh, these, this powerful message for me. And he says, his divine power... 
who Christ is. It's granted to you all things that pertain to life and godliness. Why do we keep looking everywhere else for the answers to life when he just says, this is it? Isn't that funny how it happens? He's just said, I'm going to right now, it's granted to every one of us, all things that pertain to life and to godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory. He called us to his own glory, his own excellence. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. Why? So listen. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Jesus Christ ascended into heaven. He left with us Holy Spirit. And when you have Holy Spirit living in your, living in your life, that's the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. When you have Holy Spirit living in your life, you can now be a partaker in His divine nature. Amen. One out of 500 is not bad. Think, think of this. He has granted to us his precious, valuable, and his great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Can you think of anything greater than being a participant in the divine nature of God? Yes or no? Then why do we keep looking everywhere else? Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Here's this amazing letter. And what this is really going to be about is here's Peter. Farewell speech. He knows he's going to be executed. Here he comes and he says, listen, you get to be a part, a participant in the divine nature of God if you have Holy Spirit in your life. And so I'm going to give you, if you want that, I'm going to give you some characteristics, some traits, some qualities that then you need to run after. He does not say that if you want to be a participant and you have Holy Spirit coming into your life, then you should occasionally glance over and try to be like Jesus. He says, no, you need to run after these things. And so he's beginning by reminding the reader to work hard at strengthening their faith, yes. And he's not speaking, by the way, uh, this is what we've done to the, in the church today. We've made everything about philosophical enlightenment. This is not about philosophical enlightenment. This right here is the goal of a disciple. So if you're a disciple, this is something that you're running after and you're going to be pursuing. If you're not running after it, if you're not pursuing it, then you need to question whether or not you're a disciple. I know those are harsh words, but that's truth. If you're a disciple, this is not about philosophical enlightenment. That's what the church has become so good at. Speak so vaguely, so broadly, that if everybody's just going to believe that they believe in something, they're going to heaven. It's not truth. There's one way, one truth. His name is Jesus. This is not about philosophical enlightenment. This is about 
the goal of every disciple. Of every disciple. And he calls it out. He says, for this reason. Here's the reason, right? For the reason, for this very reason, process, what's the reason? Well, because we can be a partaker, a participant. And the divine nature, as a result of that, it so blows your hair back, for those of you who have it, right? It knocks you off your feet. And so you are so overwhelmed by it that this is what you're running toward. That's what this passage is about. Because he's letting us know that everything we need for life Everything we need for life is discovered in Jesus. If we really believe that, wouldn't life get a lot simpler? Everything we need in life, everything we need for life is discovered in Jesus. Why? Because the Holy Spirit now lives in us. And he has in verse 5, 6, and 7 primarily... He has this tremendous call to action. And the call to action comes out of the promise of the gospel. The call to action comes out of the promise of the gospel. That we now with Holy Spirit can be participants, partakers in the divine nature. So here's a call to action coming out of this incredible gospel promise. And he says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. Making every effort, even when you look at the Greek, this is not, and so for this reason, because of what God has done for you, if you would do me the favor of occasionally trying to do something godly in your life. No, it says make every effort. Make every effort. It, it, It begs the question of this. What do you work hardest for? What do you work hardest for in your own life? We all have things that we prefer to do in life, right? And so when you have things that you would rather do in life, that means normally you're going to work hardest for those things. That's what you give your time to, your energy to, your resources to. That's what your family ends up giving to. Everything else comes into play with that. Even with our children, we process what's most important for us as a family. And then our children, we help them make decisions about the the extracurricular activities and other things that they're going to do. Because we know that those things are going to impact everyone else. Is it going to still allow our family to work hardest to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? If the answer to that is no, then they don't do that extracurricular activity and you're going well that's getting a little extreme no it's not no it's not we have to ask ourselves what are we working the hardest for and what is taking place here is Peter saying listen if you really grasp that you get to be a participant a partaker in the divine nature then for that very reason you're going to run after certain things You're going to make every effort, make every effort to make sure that you're doing this very thing. You're going to be supplementing your faith with these various characteristics, these traits that we have. Why? Because we know that his power is sufficient for us to not only live, but to thrive. 
And so these are really going to be characteristics and traits of a disciple, a growing Christian. Here's a question, though, that comes to my mind. When I was writing this out um, on a napkin, I'm thinking to myself, then why are so few disciples, why do so few seem to be growing? We know the state of the church in America today. We're blessed to be in a church that is growing. God is just showing his grace and his mercy over and over and over again to us. But why is it that so many Christians today aren't growing? Well, I'm going to jump down real quick, and I'm going to let um, verse 8 speak for me, because I'd rather the Word of God speak. He says this, for if these qualities, remember, here's the question, so why are so many people not growing who are Christians? If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful. Unfruitful means this, they keep you from not growing. And the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if you lack these qualities, you're so nearsighted that you're blind. So one of the primary reasons that so many Christians' disciples aren't growing today, and I know some of you may not be a Christian, may not be a disciple, but the vast majority of you are. And the reason so many believers today aren't growing is because they're nearsighted, they're blind. They're still living their life for what they want their life to be rather than what God has created for it to be. We're running after the wrong things. We're making every effort, all that energy, and we're giving it to the wrong thing. We're giving it to the wrong thing. And so here's some of these characteristics. Here's some of these characteristics. He says this. He says, listen, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. Knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness. Steadfastness with godliness. Godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. So what I want to do is I want to just run down this list very quickly. And I'm going to call out just a few phrases on each one. And I'd encourage you to scribble them down. Just so that you can leave this place and you can go ponder them spiritually internally process them with a friend with a loved one with a neighbor here's how we supplement our faith first he says with virtue another word for virtue is goodness another word for virtue would be goodness and that's simply saying this live a life that reflects Jesus goodness is that which reflects Jesus that which reflects Jesus just think of it in that way that's that that virtue that goodness in your life he continues on, and he says, well, then not only faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge. Knowledge, another word for knowledge here would be wisdom. It depends on the translation that you're looking at in terms of uh, the original language and the Greek. But you look at this and you go, okay, well, here's wisdom. And we get this from the word of God when it is, it is not only learned, but it is then lived and applied. It's learned, lived, and applied. And we can gain knowledge and wisdom. It asks the question really of how are we learning God's word? How are we allowing the depth of scripture to get into our minds? Because without that you can't have wisdom. You can't have the knowledge that he's speaking about. That's why I love uh, earlier Pastor Jim speaking about the point electives because it's an opportunity for us to allow God's word to get into our mind. He's telling us right now, farewell speech, he's about to die. These are the words that he chooses to leave with us. And he's saying, listen, you get to be a participant in the divine nature. And so make every effort to run after these things. 
The ones who aren't running after these things, they're blind. Blind as a bat. And then they yell at God when they keep running into the wall. But they won't open their eyes to look where they're going. And he's saying, listen, if you want this knowledge, this wisdom, then you need to have this depth of scripture in your own minds. And then he says, not only is it virtue or knowledge, he says, then self-control. Here's what self-control is. Self-control is about controlling your passions rather than allowing your passions to control you. That's an easy way to think about self-control. Self-control is one of the hardest things that we're exercising today because we don't do a very good job exercising self-control. We live in a society that says you can have what you want, go get it, whatever you desire. And we don't weigh that against Scripture. And so self-control is becoming more and more difficult for people today. That's why we have so many issues out there in, in terms of gambling and pornography and all different types of things. We have no self-control. Self-control is controlling your passions rather than letting your passions control you. And Peter, of all people, I love the fact that Peter's the one writing this because Peter, of all people, uh, he, I think he struggled at times with self-control. Remember, he's a guy who denied Jesus Christ three times. And he's, this is right after he says, Jesus, I'll never deny you, <laughs> right? And then later on, he does what? Uh, no, I don't know him. No, no, don't, don't know him. No, don't, I still don't know that guy. I mean, denying him over and over. And he didn't have any control over that. Of all people, I think Peter was one of these guys who would just blurt things out. It was a very Joel-like quality that he had. And now he's speaking about self-control. Here's a good question for you. Where do you need to improve self-control in your own life? For some, it's eating. Right? You find more peace and contentment and fulfillment from eating ice cream and a, or a brownie or a warm piece of Dutch apple pie than you do from jumping into the word of God. For some of you, it's maybe not eating, but it's drinking. For some of you, maybe it's the entertainment that you have in your life. It's the way you spend money. It's your anger, and you don't have any control over it, and it just keeps coming out and bubbling out. Can't control it. From self-control, he moves on and he goes into steadfastness. Another word of steadfastness would be perseverance. It's a great word, perseverance. So he's looking at this. Remember, these are virtues that we need to be running after, that we need to be desiring to meet, to make every effort. That's what the language says. Make every effort to do and to have these things if you're claiming to have Holy Spirit in your life. This is what you need to be expending more energy on this next week than anything else. And he says steadfastness or perseverance. What that is is very simple, right? It's continuing on when you feel like giving up. It's continuing on when you feel like giving up. That's why for me running, um, I just started running uh, after I took six months off. And I, I called up Nathan Potter, our worship guy, and I said, hey, do you want to go run? And he goes, sure. 
And Nathan's one of those guys who, first of all, he doesn't even think about playing a piano. It just kind of comes out of him. And then he's also one of those guys who just runs, and it's never an issue. Like right now, I could say, tomorrow, you want to go run 20 miles? He goes, okay, and then we can eat some donuts. Like he's that guy that I can't stand because of his giftedness, right? And he can just go do it. Well, for me, it's not that simple. From the time I step off of my driveway and say, go, to the time I get out of bed, three weeks later, I hurt. But it's a discipline for me. It's teaching me perseverance. It's teaching me steadfastness. It's teaching me to continue on when I feel like giving up. And maybe it's not running for you. Maybe it's something different. But it's when you're going, you know what? No, I need to teach myself perseverance. I need steadfastness and perseverance in every part of my life. Because I know that more and more the need for it is coming in the world for the disciple of Jesus Christ. Right? It's, it's when your kid looks at you and they're trying to do something and they say, fine, I quit. Oh, oh No. We don't quit. You made a commitment. You're going to continue to play. You made a commitment. You're going to continue to work. We need to learn perseverance spiritually in our lives. You'll learn a lot about your faith when you, when you start to really process what it takes to knock you away from your faith. And for some, they just fall so easy. They fall so easy. Not only is it steadfastness, but then he says, and steadfastness with godliness. By the way, let me go back to perseverance real quick. Where do you, where do you need to persevere in your faith? It's a great question, I think. Where do you need to persevere in your faith? But he says out of that then, he says godliness. Godliness is a life that flows from a passion for God. I want you just to let that soak in. He tells us to pursue godliness, and that's, a godliness is a life that flows from a passion for God. Are you passionate for God? Are you passionate for Jesus? Right, we all know those illustrations and those stories, Right? Um, I was able to speak with a buddy yesterday at uh, my youngest son's soccer game. And yesterday was an interesting day because, it's, uh, to me, college football, you know, it started a week ago, but it's really kind of getting back into full swing. And I, t- I tell you all the time, pastors that really, you know, they give you a hard time for cheering so much for this team versus this team or whatever it might be. Um, a year ago, I told you that the struggle that I have with it is just that I'm jealous I wish disciples would give as much energy and passion toward Jesus as they do for a blasted football game. I wish they would get on Facebook as much about their love for Jesus as they do about who won a dumb game. It's not that I think it's wrong to go to a game and bite me. I'll be happy to go eat a hot dog. It's not that at all. I'm just jealous of the fact that we get more excited about something that is not eternal then we do the fact that Jesus Christ is allowing us through Holy Spirit because of his presence in our life to be a partaker in his divine nature and we don't get riled up about that. 
that for some reason we have no problem sharing with others about a game or, or, or about sharing about where we get to retire and we get so excited that, hey, I'm 56, I'm retiring next year, we can't, tell, can't wait to tell everybody I'm getting to retire, and yet we struggle to tell them, Jesus loves you. Like it, that doesn't process to me. I don't understand that. I never have, and I pray I never will. I don't understand how we can claim salvation and not get excited to tell other people about Jesus. I don't get it. Because he's saying he's about to die. He knows Nero, who is vicious. Here's the emperor of Rome. Vicious toward believers. Vicious toward them. He blamed them for everything. If it rained, it's your God's fault. Kill those people. Like He blamed them for everything. He knew what was coming. And so his last words are like, guys, if you know that you get to be a partaker in the divine nature, then you run after these things. You make every effort. You take every ounce of energy you have, and you run toward this. That's godliness. So how is your love for Jesus even being renewed? How is it being renewed? Have you really soaked in what he's done for you? Another thing he jumps into is brotherly affection or kindness. Right? Here's brotherly affection or kindness. It's just having a generous spirit. A generous spirit toward other people. I think it's even, here's a good question for you on this one is, are you generous in your judgment of others? Are you generous in your judgment of others, or do you automatically just assume the very worst in them? Another thing he says is, finally, he says, out of brotherly affection is love. It's really devoting yourself to the well-being of others, regardless of what it means for you. It's devoting yourself to the well-being of others, regardless of what it means for you. Why? Because that's what Jesus Christ did. He devoted himself to the well-being of others, even though it cost him his life. That's love. He says, God is love. Jesus speaks about love more than any other thing in Scripture. Why? Because that was his, his nature. That's who he was. That's why he demonstrated for us so perfectly who he was and all that he had done. He says, if these qualities, as I read previously in verse 8, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Have you forgotten that Jesus Christ has saved your life? If we don't pursue these goals, we are nearsighted, blind, and have forgotten what has been done for us through Christ. Um, I've already mentioned it a few weeks ago, but I'm struggling reading now. Um, but I'm not going to the eye doctor because I'm too young for that. So I keep thinking that, like, Somebody's messing with me and giving me a, a Bible that has smaller print. But I'm, 
often I'm doing this. I had to do it earlier, and I'm like, oh, there it is. Right? It's not funny. That's so many of us with God. Like we see, we're looking at him and he's, bl- he's blurry. And, and, and over the years, it's gotten worse and worse and worse. And now he's so far off at a distance, we don't even know if, he, if it's really there or not. Don't be blind. Are you blind? Are you making every effort? Are you making every effort to run toward Jesus? He says in verse 10, he says, be all the more diligent. We are to be diligent to grow. We are to be diligent in growing in our joyful confidence in all that God has done. That his promises are real and that he's promised all who believe eternal life. We need to stop living so small in who we are and start living larger in who Christ is. Are you living spiritually small or are you living spiritually large? Or are you blind? Here's here's what I think that the this entire passage really does paints us a, a wonderful picture. I've, I want to show you a picture of my father's workbench. Um, this was my father's workbench as of this week. My father, if you don't know, he passed away about three and a half months ago, and he had this. He has this huge workshop, right? They wanted to downsize when I. They went from like thirty-one hundred square feet to thirteen hundred square feet. So then he built a fifteen hundred square foot garage. The one's laughing, you've done it, right? And my mother will not let this portion of his workshop, his workroom, be touched. So it's been three and a half months, and one of the things that my father did, you can see the tools here. I know it's not a great picture. Um, my mom can hardly turn her phone on, and then I'm asking her to take pictures and email them to me, and it was, a, it was like an eight-hour process. So... Um, <laughs> She even said, you're going to tell your whole church how bad I am at this. I said, yes. Um, so you can see in the back there, you can see those logs that are sitting there, right? And what happened was my father would look at those, and he would stare at them, and he would go, hey, I, I wonder what that looks like. It's kind of like looking at one of these. These are larger, but I wanted you to be able to see them, right? It's kind of like looking at that. What does that make? I don't know, a giraffe, I, I, I don't know. But he would look at them, and you can see a couple of frogs. So all of a sudden, he started seeing frogs, I guess. And you can see one on the left that's been carved that he, he carved out, one on the right that he was still working on. It doesn't have much detail to it, but you can see what it's becoming. And there's a great shot. If, if it panned around to the right, you would see a ledge of all these different animals that, he has, that he's carved. And he would look at these things, and he would look at that piece of wood, and he goes, that's what I need it to become. And so then what he would do is he would start whittling away everything around it so it would become that image. And 
And that's what God is wanting to do with you. He's wanting to chisel away, to whittle away at every part of your life that is not reflecting virtue or knowledge or godliness or self-control. He's wanting to whittle away anything that is in your life that's not representing who he is, that's not reflecting his image. That's the the thrust of a disciple. Let's go back to that picture if we could. I start looking at the tools that are there. It's amazing, by the way. We had somebody recently. You can just leave it up there, Brenda. We had somebody recently. Uh, my mom brought someone in and said, hey, can you tell me, tell me how much all this stuff is? And the very first tool he saw, he goes, well, that's worth about $150. I said, $100? What? That's what I told my mom. I'm like, you guys could hardly afford to buy all the drugs that my dad was on. How is he spending this kind of money? He's like, hey, you got thousands of dollars. Well, now I go, What? The point is, I, man, he spent, he spent a lot of money to be able to do that. A lot of money. To where some people would say, that's not fair for you to spend that much money on something when you're hurting in other areas of life, right? But then I think about our creator and how much he has spent on us. I'm certain that I would have told the creator, no, don't give your son. He's too valuable. I need to. That's the only way to get you with me. Make every effort. Are you making every effort? It's, it's not even that complicated. You don't need to go buy a bunch of books about life helps and self-helps. You need to read the word of God. And run after him. Will you? Will you? I want us just to, there, there's a song, my friends can come back out and um, some of you will know this song. I just want them, almost as a prayer, to, to sing uh, this. And then we're going to stand together after that and have a response. But man, there's so many questions that come out of today, aren't there? Are you blind? What are you needing to persevere through? In what area of life are you needing to have self-control Are you making every effort to pursue Jesus? Goal of Chapel Point. Chase Jesus together.
How's that? Part of that run that we were able to go on yesterday, we're running, and I look over at Nathan because I'm like, and he's like looking at the flowers. I love you, brother. He just said, you're crazy. We're running through one of these new neighborhoods, um, 40th and Port Shelton. And what he didn't know is I started getting teary-eyed because there's literally hundreds of homes being built. And so I just started praying out loud, God, let us be able to tell them about Jesus. Like, they're moving in here. They're, they're just coming. And I don't want to look at the new house and my first thought be, oh, I like that house. Oh, I like the color. Oh, the grass is nice. I want my first thought to be, do they know the living son of God? I pray we see clearly. Listen to this if you would. 